Well, good morning, and we are in the life of Peter, and we're, we're at the Easter story, but we're looking at the life of Jesus through the life of Peter, and this is called From Shifting Sand to Solid Rock, and each week we've seen how Peter has maybe taken some steps forward to being more solid, and then some steps back, and last week we talked about some big steps back when he actually denied Jesus. Well, I want you to know that um, we are living in some kind of weird times right now. It's kind of dismal. And I know dismal because I grew up in Seattle. And I have to tell you, I didn't know anything different. I knew that the sun would shine sometimes in the summer. We talked about the rainy season, January 1st to December 31st. That was a rainy season. But Seattle has a lot of gray days, and gray days are kind of dismal. I, I can remember every year about September, there, there'd be some sunshine at times, and we would just kind of hang on to those last rays of hope. And then it would come, and it would be dreary, dismal. And, you know, I, it was just kind of, you know, it just the whole city went, ugh, you know. It's that kind of a thing. Uh, I, I really didn't know that the sun could shine in the winter. I, I didn't know that that was a thing. I, I understand now that the, the sun's always shining. It's just above the clouds, right? And, and um, I can remember being in a horrible winter snow and just terrible conditions and taking off in an airplane and being in the sunshine and thinking, wow, it was here all the time. So I, I know about dismal from that aspect, and that's how that word is often used. But, but I think we're kind of in a dis dismal time here with COVID. I think, uh, you know, we're looking at Peter's life, and sure, this is certainly one of the most dismal times of his existence. Well, this word, dismal, uh, you don't have to write these down, but I looked it up for you. It means bleak or cheerless, dark, that, that's understanding, depressing. To be in dismal means to be just kind of depressed. Uh, this next word, dreary, you know, are your spirits ever just dreary? Uh, gloomy, very much kind of the same thing. I was surprised when I saw this next word, though. Dismal can mean God-forsaken. Wow. That, that somehow we feel like God has forgotten us. It can mean lonely, miserable, certainly. Morbid. Ooh, that sounds so much worse than miserable. Morbid. This word was a surprise to me, too. Dismal can mean sepulchral. I am sure I have never used that word in a sentence in my life until about one hour ago. In first service, I mean. Uh, funeral or sepulchral of the dead. Wow, dismal. It also can mean somber, just that kind of a down attitude, or wretched. Oh, wretched. What a wretched person I am. I'm so dismal. Well, 
not just weather in Seattle can be dismal. I mean, we can all feel dismal at times. And we're living in this dismal time. You could even say we're living in the country of dismal. But we don't have to be dismal just because we feel dismal. Just because the circumstances around us are that doesn't mean we have to be dismal. And I want you to know Peter's going to make some progress today. And wherever you are right now, I hope that this message from Peter's life will bring you hope and and it'll lift you from dismal, from the dismal to the divine. Now, there are times when we're all sad. Uh, We can be depressed even and we get down and we feel like we're out of it. And and it's natural when you lose something, when when you lose a job. I, I remember losing a girlfriend. Oh, that's dismal. That's heartbreaking. To a teenager, that's devastating. It's bleak. It's cheerless. It's depressing. You know, it's dismal. Uh, to lose a job uh, during these times, it's been dismal. To to lose someone to death, uh, and we've had several families that have lost loved ones, and and it's tough. Even if you could have a funeral time to celebrate their life, even that is changed, and it's, it's very difficult. It's natural when you lose your job or lose someone who's close to you to feel dismal. I just realized probably all of us right now are feeling more dismal than when we first came in. But there's hope. But let's first look at Peter. This is that Thursday night before Jesus is crucified on that Friday. We call it Good Friday. It wasn't that good for him, but it was sure good for us because it took us towards the divine. And so it was a dismal night for Peter that Thursday. I mean, dinner had been good. They all got together. They celebrated. Then they gone to the Olive Grove where they often did but he had fallen asleep. Jesus woke him up a couple of times and said, Peter, can't you just stay awake? And, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I'm so tired. He was so tired. When when you're in dismal, you just want to sleep all the time. But he woke with a start to a mob arresting Jesus. He drew his sword and he swung at a guy called Malchus. And uh, not being a very good shot with that, he hit him in the ear. He was fighting for Jesus, but even in that, Jesus rebuked him for doing it as he healed Malchus. What was was going on? He followed the mob to the high priest's house. He couldn't get in, so he stayed out in the courtyard, sat by the fire. And then the unthinkable happened. He denied Christ three times. It was dismal. Scriptures tell us that he wept bitterly and he left. Where did he go? What did he do? It must have been a horrible three days for Peter between the crucifixion and the resurrection. But after the crucifixion, after the death of Jesus, That's when the inconceivable happened. We're going to bounce around between some of the Gospels. We're going to start with the book of John, where John tells us in chapter 20, verse 1, 
that it was early on Sunday morning, the very first Easter Sunday. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And, and the other Gospels don't tell us just Mary. You know, John just mentions Mary's name, but we know that there were three or four other women that went to the tomb with Mary. Mary, you know, women don't do this alone. When they're doing important jobs, they take a friend with them. And, and certainly that would happen here. Mark tells us that Salome was there and Mary, the mother of James, and perhaps Johanna. Some other women, they're going to the tomb. And they found, when they got there, that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And this amazed them. They're, wow. I'm not sure what those women were thinking when they were going to a sealed tomb, guarded, uh, the, how they were going to get in. And they were taking spices to prepare the body, the dead body of Jesus. And this love and care was were, were, were all they could do because they had, they had accepted the fact that Jesus was dead. And this idea of acceptance is the, the first word that we see in moving from dismal to divine. And it's this word resignation. They were resigned to the fact of Jesus' demise, and they were dismal. They accepted it, and they were trying to move forward. Mark tells us in Mark 16, 5, that when the women entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side. Another of the gospel writers tells us there were two men. Um, the women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go, tell his disciples. And look at this next word, including Peter. Peter is singled out by the angel. He really needs this news because he's living in dismal. Go, tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. You know, can't you just see Jesus coming back to life and going, I told you so, you know? Well, wow, this really was good news. But I'm, I'm wondering how much did these women believe it? Uh, after all, in that day and age, they were just seen as silly women. Women did not have the privilege of being educated in that Jewish society. And, you know, women were just as smart, just as, uh, as productive, and yet they got very little credit in that day. And, and so there certainly is confusion during this time. They're confused. What can this mean? But they're still dismal. But the, here's the word that we need to see. Into this moment, a tiny little seed of hope happens. They began to be a little bit hopeful. They were dismal, but there was a ray of hope. Just like when the weather's dismal, but a ray of sunshine comes through. Or, you know, you're, it's dismal outside, but you're inside and it's all cozy and you're by the fire. You can be in a place that's dismal all around you 
and you can be just the opposite. You can be hopeful. And, and that's what happened for these women that moment. John tells us in verse 2 of John 20 that she, Mary, ran and found Simon Peter and John. She ran. Isn't, there's a lot of running around in this, on this first Easter, and I don't know how long it's been since any of you have run. Have you been running lately? First service, there wasn't one runner in the whole crowd, you know? Because, we, and that's very out of order for, for people to do that, but she was excited. She ran and found Simon, Peter, and John. And here's what she said. They have taken his, the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Well, now all of that is true, right? They, the body's gone. We don't, they don't know where it is. She fails to mention an angel told us he's alive. You know, that would have been good information for Peter to have right at that moment. But does that happen? No. Silly women. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Okay. But notice what happens here. She runs to find Simon Peter. She has enthusiasm and puts it in action that she didn't have before. So here's the next word that can help us get out of dismal. It's energetic. To be energetic. I don't know how many of you have been running, but probably you haven't been too energetic. We need to be energetic in this day and age because hope leads to enthusiastic action. We need to get our energy and know that God's got this and it's going to be okay. Now, over to Luke. This is Luke 24, verse 11. Uh, remember the silly women? But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. You know, it, it is a shame that, that they thought it was nonsense. That they couldn't believe the women... Because it says they thought in their maleness that it was nonsense, and so they didn't believe. Men, just a little thing here. It would be really wise to listen to your significant women in your life. Mostly they're going to be moms, or they could be daughters, but most often they're wives. And we do well if we listen to our wives, because some Times they are most of the time more engaged spiritually. They're in tune, and it is a great benefit to us if we listen to the women around us. That was a bonus, okay? So they didn't believe it. But verse 12, this is interesting. However, Peter jumped up, talk about energy, and ran, more running, to the tomb. Why? To look. He had some energy, and maybe just a tiny bit of hope was waiting to be born in him. But it's not there yet. Uh, this next word says, stooping. He peered in, and he saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again. What? He goes there, he sees it's like what the women had said, and then he just goes home. I don't think he knows what else to do. So what does he do? He goes home. Uh, this is not home to Galilee. This is home to Jerusalem where they had been meeting, perhaps in the wealthy home of uh, a follower of Jesus, or maybe even the upper room. But he goes back where the others are. 
He goes to a place of home where there are friends. And, and he needs to be home at this moment. But it says this. This is a key word. He's wondering what had happened. He doesn't know what had happened, and that's where this word wonder enters in. Uh, we think about that word at this time of year, especially with winter wonderland and, and how, uh, you know, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. It's, it's marvelous. It's, it, there's expectation. So he has this sense of wonder, of marveling, but he's not entirely convinced. So maybe he's a little bit hopeful, but not necessarily convinced. He's wondering, though, and wonder leaves a little room for God to work some good things in his life. Going back to John verse three, uh, 3 of chapter 20, Peter and John. Now, I've condensed this down because when John is writing this, he doesn't refer to himself as John. He says, he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. So if you look in your Bible, it says, Peter and the one whom Jesus loved. And so every time John says, the one whom Jesus loved, he's referring to himself, because later on, he says, like we didn't know already, he says, and I'm the one whom Jesus loved. And, and, and you know, he's uh, been around a long time. He's outlived all the other disciples, so he can just, he can say that. Because Jesus is very fond of his followers. Jesus is very fond of you, too. So it says Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loved, started out for the tomb. And they both were running, more running. But John outran Peter. There it is. If you ever have a trivia question, who was a faster runner, Peter or John, it's John. There you go. You have the answer for that. He outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He stooped. Here's that word again and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, finally got there, and he went inside. He also noticed, this word notice, he's, he's inspecting, he's looking. Even that word stooped and looked, that word carries with it a kind of an investigation, checking out the facts, trying to figure out what's going on. And that's what they're doing. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that Jesus had covered, or that had covered Jesus' head, was folded up and lying there apart from the other wrappings. Isn't that interesting? That the piece of, that covered his head was folded? Who did that? Hmm. I don't know. Was Jesus neat? He folded his napkin and put it down there? Or angels do that? What, what, what happened there? It was hard to understand. Something had happened, but what do they really know? That Jesus is not there. They don't know if Jesus is alive, but they know Jesus is not there. But then, aha, a moment happens. Verse 8, Then John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw. He didn't just notice. This carries more weight to actually seeing something, and he believed. In that moment, John believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood. They didn't really understood 
uh, what had happened and what Jesus had meant when he said he must raise from the dead. And, and, and at this moment, John becomes the first believer in the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, many are going to follow after that, and it's going to be difficult uh, because it requires faith. And, and then it says in verse 10, and they went home. Same deal. What do they do now? Where do we go? Well, let's go back and be with the others. I don't know what to do. Let's do that. And so they do. So somewhere along the way, when we're living in dismal, we get a little lift and, we, and there's a little hope. We've been resigned to the fact that things are going, but we wonder and we're hopeful. And at some point, that little seed of doubt becomes belief. And that's what happened for, for John. He believed. John believed. And there is an interpretation of the facts that led to increased faith. Now, a lot of people want hard evidence, you know. Uh, they they want to know all of this. And, and they look to science to base their beliefs on. But, but for John, it was his faith. He had faith that, yes, I get it now. And he has this moment. But Peter, he remained neutral, still considering, still unconvinced. So they go back. Next, the Gospels take us to the story of the two on the road to Emmaus. There were two other disciples, not one of the 12 disciples, but, but two other followers of Jesus, and they were headed home to Emmaus. Emmaus is about like seven, eight miles from Jerusalem. And they're walking along, and all of a sudden Jesus appears there with them. Um, they meet him on the road, and they're walking together. And, and Jesus is saying, why are you guys so dismal? says that right in there. You have to read it. In Luke, and, and they talk to each other, and, and he begins to unpack the scriptures and say everything that happened to happen to the Messiah. And they, they begin to be encouraged, and they be, become hopeful, and, and, and they get to Emmaus, and they're going to go in, and Jesus acts like he's going to go on, and they say, oh, no, no, you've got to come in with us. Just being with you is so great. And so Jesus goes in with them, and, and they're going to have some food, and, and in the breaking of the bread, all of a sudden, their eyes are open, and at the same moment that their eyes are open, Jesus disappears. Wow. And they are just overjoyed. This is incredible. That was Jesus who was with us. And they said, this is verse 32 of Luke 24, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within this? Now, this is not holy heartburn. This is like having a warming of emotions and everything. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? You know, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, our church is based out of the Methodist tradition and, and the founder of Methodism is John Wesley. John Wesley used this experience to explain what happened to him. He said, I am one whose heart has been strangely warmed. There wasn't physical evidence for it to be warmed, but when the Holy Spirit got a hold of John Wesley, after he'd been an ordained minister, he had this new experience of God really connecting with him, and he described it as one whose heart has been strangely warmed. 
Has your heart been warmed? It's not based on science. It's based on faith. It's based on a new perspective. And, and that's the next word that I would have you uh, write down. On your journey from dismal to divine, you have to have a revelation. You have to have a change of perspective. Uh, this idea of, hey, you're getting warmer. Uh, you know, we play this game with the caravan kids uh, sometimes. It's called Huckle Buckle Beanstalk. Have you ever played Huckle Buckle Beanstalk? Colette said yes, yes. I see that hand. This, the, the idea is this game is we take a caravan slide or neckerchief slide and we hide it somewhere in the room. It's very small and, and we put it, you know, on a pin on the board or we put it on somebody's head or it's just somewhere in plain sight and the kids are out of the room and then they come back and then they have to find that little neckerchief slide. And as soon as they find it, they don't go, oh, wow, I see it. No, no, that you don't win if you do that. You have to saunter over to your place and sit down. And when you've done that very slightly, not to give it away, you sit down and then you say, huckle buckle beanstalk. It's so funny to hear some of these first graders try to learn how to say huckle buckle beanstalk or just shouting out, I don't know what the word is, but I see it. It happens so. Huckle buckle beanstalk is kind of a tough word. It means eureka. <laughs> if we were in California, that's what we'd use instead. But anyway, uh, you're getting warmer is what we do when people don't find the neckerchief slide for a while. And, and the kids love to help the others when they know the answer. They want to go right over there, you know. They want to help so badly. And, and what they do is it will, we let them do this. Well, you're getting warmer. And then, oh, oh. Chloe, you're getting warmer, and they love to do this. You're burning up! You're on fire! Meaning they're right there. You're so close to it. Can't you see it? And that's what Revelation is, a getting warmer, of, of beginning to understand truth that is beyond us. They love that game, but they love helping others find what we're looking for. You know, it warms our hearts, and it warms others, too, when we help somebody know Jesus, when we help someone get closer to Jesus. You're getting warmer. You're feeling more hopeful. You're getting a little more energetic, and your faith is increasing. When you're moving from dismal to divine, your faith grows, along with your hope and the sense of wonder. Well, here's what happened to those two on the road to Emmaus. Verse 33 says, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. You know, that's about seven or eight miles, so I'm not sure if they ran or not. It doesn't say. I think they kind of walked and hopped and skipped and ran. They were energetic. They were hopeful. They were excited. They put this new information and their energy into action. Now, we could have used the word obedience, but I liked action better. So what, what action is, is, is an obedient response to hope and to a growing faith, taking action. And this implies moving towards God, following God. That's what a disciple is, a, a learner, a follower of Jesus. They became believers. And they did something about it. They got up, they 
they'd been in dismal all the way out to Emmaus. This guy comes along and lifts their spirits a little, and then they have a revelation, and they're excited, and they're rushing back to Jerusalem with a lot of energy and a lot of hope and a lot of goodwill. They're moving not just away from dismal, but they're moving towards God. And that's the secret for us, moving towards God. When you are in dismal, you need God to bring you home, to lift you up. It says that they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. And right before these two from Emmaus can even tell their story, these other guys are telling us, guess what? The Lord really has risen, and he, what? Appeared to Peter. Here again, Peter gets singled out. Uh, make sure, the angel says, go find the disciples, including Peter. And now they say what the Lord has done. He's, a first, he's appeared to Peter. And this word that we need to see that helps us move from dismal to divine is confirmation. We need faith and to get it verified. And it is verified by, this word actually means the formation of appropriate arrangements of parts into a new whole. What's happening for these disciples is they're getting little pieces of information about Jesus. And when you put it together, the only conclusion that you can have is that Jesus is alive. And that confirmation, that conclusion, that, that, that is verifying their faith. Yes, Jesus is real. Yes, Jesus is alive. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the faith chapter. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. You know, the idea that something that we hope for coming true, that, that builds confirmation. We come to a conclusion, a revelation. Jesus is real. He's alive. Faith gives us assurance about things we cannot see. This is not based on facts. Certainly there were facts in the case that helped Peter. It's based on faith. When you add up all the evidence, the facts, when you add up those things you can see with the things you can't see, the conclusion is, the confirmation is that Jesus is alive. Now, think about this. Initially, the disciples... They saw the trials. They, they saw the torture. They saw the crucifixion of Jesus. They saw that Jesus was dead. They saw that he was buried, put it placed in that tomb. They saw all that evidence. And what was the conclusion for them? Hopelessness. It was over. It was done. They were dismal. But the end of the gospel stories, they're going to be totally changed. Because by the very end, they've spent time with Jesus. They saw these exact same events as the fulfillment of God's prophetic promise. And now, 
They weren't living in dismal. Now they could live in delight. Be sure to get this word because our hope, our faith brings us to a place of delight in Jesus. What had been dismal now becomes divine and we delight in that. Jesus had appeared to Peter. This appearance is described only as that one little sentence. Nothing further in the gospel is said about this moment where Jesus appeared to Peter. Perhaps the first person to see Jesus alive was Peter. It's either Peter or Mary Magdalene. And um, one gospel says it was Mary, and then, oh yeah, and he appeared to Peter. But there is another mention in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul mentions the fact that the Lord appeared to others. But he first appeared to Peter. And he makes a list. He says he appeared to Peter, and he appeared to the twelve, and he appeared to other disciples, and he appeared to 500 people. And, and Paul's talking about that, and then he says, well, he, he appeared to James. And this is meaning James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a believer at, until after the resurrection. And then it says, Paul says, he appeared to me as one who was untimely born, that I was born at the wrong time because I didn't get to be there and see all of that. And he says that to help us move from dismal to delight, to help us know that God still got this, that God is in control. We don't know where this meeting took place. We don't know when. We know it was on that first Easter Sunday. We don't know how. We don't know what happened. But it was a personal meeting between Jesus and Peter, a private meeting in which Jesus had a special session with Peter to affirm his love and his faith and the hope that he too could be the rock, that he could be solid, solid in his faith and in his following of Jesus. Well, what changed for Peter? Did the weather change? A little sunshine brightens my soul, it does, but the weather really hadn't changed. Had the circumstances changed? Nope. Everything they knew was pretty much the same. There were some reasons that were a little different. Was Peter's physical health or his mental health changed? Well, certainly seeing Jesus lifted that and changed everything. Had the relationships changed? I have never had seen this before, how important it was that Peter went back and join the other disciples where Judas went off by himself. And the end result was very different for those two. And it could have been the same. Either way, it could have been the same. What brought Peter out of the dismal into the divine to delight? Only one thing changed. Now, I grant you, it was a pretty big change, okay? It was a pretty big thing. It was really big. It's that Jesus is alive. What they thought before is not true, that it, and that Jesus is alive. He said he would, and I guess we should have believed him, but he is. And that changed everything. We think this year that COVID has changed everything. But guess what? Vicki read a story 
in first service about a pastor in a German town that was surrounded by a foreign army. And there was no hope. And, and the people were just dying. And there were 50 pastors and they all died except for him. He was the last one. He went out to make peace with the enemy. And eventually, you know, we don't even understand how dismal things have been for people in the past. We would do well not to forget that because these seem like dismal times. And a lot of people are putting their faith in science to bring us out of this. Oh, it's, it's the vaccine that we've got to have or, or whatever. You know, I don't think God brings these times upon us, but I think he allows them to be used to bring people to faith. And the really big change is Jesus is alive. He is still alive. And his presence in your life can change everything. So does God care? Does God care about what we're going through? Does God care for Peter? Obviously he did. He had a private session with Peter. And Jesus showed that concern for him. And Peter repented. And Jesus approached him and forgave him and restored him. We have one more message in this series, and that's next week, the restoration of Peter. And Jesus will do the same for you. Does God care about what you're going through? Yes, He does. God has got this. He cares enough for you to die for you. He cares enough to die for your sins. And He cares enough to give you His Holy Spirit to help you to live. To live in delight and to get out of dismal. He can turn what's dismal into delight just by being there. So the question is, will you let him be there for you? Even in trying times, will you, will you practice the presence? Jesus is with you, and he has got this. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for these ups and downs in Peter's life because they remind me so much of my own. Times of faith and times of doubt, but growing and growing until there is an awareness, a aha, eureka, that you are alive, that you are real. And I don't have to live as a victim to the circumstances around me I can live in the truth that you are here and you give great hope. And it is a wonder. Thank you for that, Jesus. I pray for each one who right now is feeling like they're in dismal. Lord, lift them up. Bring them to a place of delight. Make it so. Jesus, you're the only one who can. And let us put our trust in you. For it is in your wonderful name that we pray. Amen.